December 11, 2010. Here's a Watt from Pedro Show.
show uh december 11th saturday how are you brother matt excellent everything's good um start off the show with chim chim cheri by john coltrane i know he didn't write that i think it's from uh mary poppins Poppins. you get another version of uh satchmo doing it louis armstrong yeah wow um and then we heard uh, Elmay with Decide on a Direction. Uh, back from a couple gigs. Uh, transatlantic debut of Third Opera in England last Saturday at Minehead, almost Wales. Um, all Tomorrow's Party. Uh, Festival of Nightmare Before Christmas, curated by Godspeed, you Black Emperor. A Montreal band, that's uh, one of the reasons I was there, because uh, they curated, and I was invited, me and my missing man. I brought those guys so we could play the opera for them. And uh, 
that was a big room. It was these places where they have it. This one's at Butlins. When they first started, they were at one called Pottins. And they're these uh, little, like, uh, econo resorts for working people to go to the sea, by the sea. And this one had a lot of rides and stuff, I guess, for the kids. And there's a big tent like building, like four or five big poles to make a giant old tent. And that's the stage we played. I think it was called Pavilion and a little tough in a way. We were dwarfed by the thing, the biggest room I've played the opera in front of, for sure. Especially compared to some of the live houses over in Japan. Um, there was also a lot of good bands to go see play. Godspeed You Black Emperor, for one. They were incredible. I saw them. I think they did a different set each night, but we were there only for two nights. Because the third, I had to go to New York City for 50th... Somebody's at your hatch, brother uh, Matt. 50th birthday party at Yuka Honda at a place called Les Poissons Rouge, which is meaning a redfish. And uh, I hear voices. Oh, wow. Tell ya. We're on the show. We're on the show. Hey, <laughs> Talking buddy. about the howdy. Good to see you again. What do you got in there? Pecan pralines. Pralines. Cool. Yeah, okay. New Orleans style. Yeah, I know these. Candies. I get one of those bon time they Crunch. Thanks. Cheers. Oh. Oh, it's sunset here in Pedro? I'm telling them about my music adventures last week. First was uh, Altamara Party in England. So it was like a little carnival town, resort? Uh, it ain't a town, really. It's in a town called Minehead, but it's its own little world. It's a resort, sort of like that shit in uh, Tommy. Mm. Holiday camp yeah, or something. Yeah. And things like little chalets, they call chalets, they're just like little rooms and apartments. And, you know, this one is a little fancier. The ones they used to be was in Camber Sands, which was south of London, near Brighton, or Dover. Actually, Hastings, because I went and checked that out, where William Conker came. And this one's way in the west by... Bristol, maybe, is the biggest town near it. I had to take from the airport, take a train into London, and then back on uh, the Great Western, first Great Western, they call this uh, uh, train. And it went to a town called Taunton. And from there, we got picked up, got our about 45-hour ride. It was kind of a journey to get there, but and it was cold. That first day we went there was 17 degrees, which wow. is uh, bone chilling. 15 below freezing. Yeah, but I got the big coat I got for the Jap tour, and I can't use that in Pedro. Hmm. Nice too. Heavy duty. Yeah, too intense. But it works for these things, like freezing parts. <laughs> In Japan, we were pretty lucky. 
with not a lot of frick the cold. Samui, they say. We had um, only two days of rain, too. Oh, that whole thing, uh, three weeks. Um, but here it was raining, and there was a little bit of snow, but I mean, it was too, too cold to snow, even. It was freezing. Heat? Fuego? Oh, what? I have a lighter for you. I made it myself. <laughs> cool. Oh, really? Yes. How'd you do that? <laughs> Oh, uh, Brother Matt, we have guests. Yes. I decorated it myself. Welcome. Uh, welcome aboard. Talia, Coco, and Matt have arrived. Hello. Yeah. Welcome. Hello, world. Here you go. Hope you like yeah. our <laughs> <laughs> one of your faves, oh, right? He stuck his picture on there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I was out selling them today. There was a little holiday craft boutique over by the ah. corner store. Boutique? Uh, corner store rocks. Yeah. Hey, Peggy. Is that with the Australia people? They're gone. Peggy, oh. Peggy got it now. Okay. Good. And then uh, at the Redfish, or Le Poisson, Poisson Rouge, 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 Rouge uh, it's kind of, you know what it used to be called? It was the gate. The village gate in the old days. Co-train played there. Mingus, all kinds of cats. And uh, we did the whole album, uh, debut, uh, Eponymous, you say? Same title as the name uh, of the band. How do you say that? Eponymous? Sounds, sounds familiar. Eponymous, like the R.E.M. <laughs> E.P. or whatever. Eponymous usually meant that the, if it, the name in the band was the same, mm. if I understand it correctly. Yes. Uh, is your mic on? Speak, speak in there. Hello? What's there. up? Yeah, you got What's turn, up, world? <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morning. throw <laughs> you. And a little slab, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. The large. That's whiskey. <laughs> Petrosich family. Anyway, uh... Didn't have time. I mean, uh, when the plane was delayed, there was some like fuel tests they had to do on the lines. But in San Francisco, this is at Heathrow because it was too cold, so it was forgotten to be done, and then it had to be there. They had to heat it up, and it was hours late, so I missed the plane going to New York City. I had to actually fly back to LA to fly to New York City. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the ticket situation. But I was happy to do it. Anyway, I get there. Maybe I get into the town at 5 p.m. And uh, we just go through. There's only four tunes, but they're big ones. Uh-huh. And uh, she did some songs with her old band, Chiba. Uh-huh. Kind of. It was her and the lady. Uh-huh. Me, uh, Mahori. And then different backup people. Like, and then Nels Klein did a half hour solo. And then there was a big jam at the end. And... Uh, who came there? Jim uh, Campiano? Campiano, an incredible guitarist. And when Nels was really hot, I'm wanting to have, uh, play Third Stone from the Sun uh, with him, and I couldn't cool. remember the intro part so well. <laughs> but actually, uh, one of the jams 
Nels pl- played bass. I never oh, yeah. had seen him play bass. I have pictures wow. of him playing bass. Yeah. I I didn't bring it. I, I gave mine to Raul. He still has it there at the airport, and then so it'd be easier for my traveling. And uh, I played one of Sean Lennon's, some old uh, Guild from the '60s, and short scale is a good one. I don't know what's called. Shape weird, kind of like Gumby's head. <laughs> yeah, it was strange. You see this? Yeah. What is it? Steve Boone's guitar. <gasps> What? That's what he used to do um, overdubs like on Double Nickels on the Dime. And, it's beautiful. Uh, Three way tie. Uh, <coughs> These girls are guilty, by the way. I think it's called a one. I guilty girl. Yes, one twenty. They That's wanted to called. bring your upright bass into Dennis's uh, garage to practice. Yeah. And he's like, it's too cold. The thing will crack. Classical. It's too true. cold. Yeah. It was a cold night. We weren't oh. thinking. Tonight? No, no, it was Wednesday. Like yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, but this, man, this ain't cold. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was willing to try because we wanted to play it. You guys sound guilty for being a wanker. <laughs> for not for breaking, not breaking it. Oh no, no. <laughs> for calling them out. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. And so uh, I blew some clams at that one. I blew some clams at my opera. But you guys got it down pretty good though, now, yeah. eh? It's a lot better. It was the 17th time. Now, I got tour um, mapped out for March 10, April 30. I think it's 51 gigs in 52 days. And we'll probably get better at it then. (laughs) I want to play for U.S. And uh, there's three Canadian. I want to see you do it again. When are you going to play in L.A. again? Yeah, I think we're only going to do it once before the tour. And then when the tour starts, I think the second gig is here with it. Maybe the echo, I don't know. But we'll, we'll do it again, tell you. <laughs> um, and then in the, I got Stooges tour in, of course, January and February with uh, Australia and New Zealand, but then, then uh, probably Europe in the summer. And then when fall comes, I'm going to try to do a Europe tour of third opera with missing oh, man. Cool. Yeah. In the next few weeks, I'm trying to get this uh, Black Gang thing done. My album about autumn. And I'm uh, working to get out the third opera in the U.S. probably in uh, February. Enough of that. So this time you can only get uh, the Japanese uh, label. Uh, for people yeah, because uh, I was touring there. That's why I wanted uh-huh. to come out there. And uh, but I'll have it out here mm-hmm. when I'm touring here. Um, yeah, that's kind of weird to do, but uh, I thought it would be the right thing to do. It's a whole new world. Get to make your own rules anyway. Yeah, that's nice. Uh-huh. It's a whole new new world. Yeah, make your own rules. Your way. Yeah, but I thought that was part of uh, credo, credo mm-hmm. of the punk movement, which was, what, 30 years ago, 33, 34 years ago. In nine days, I'm 53, tell you. What are you going to do for your birthday? Well, on the 18th, I'm going to play with Kay at uh, 
Sierra Madre. Because it's a Saturday and there's like 12 bands playing. Was Frida playing too? I think, uh, yeah. yeah it's Dean Dean, the Prancing Machine's birthday too. It's around mine. Yeah, we'll be and there so. with you. Right. It's a neat pad. It's Mario from Fatso Jetson's place. Uh, nice. Where did we play there? Me and Kate played there a couple months ago. My memory. Here, let's play some music.
and shiver when you Možete sve vreme svi pevamo.
show um, just played uh, some stuff uh, the, the first tune uh, was from a guy who was in the Terramelos band we did six gigs within Japan mm. in October yeah you know they're a trio but they had a fourth cat named uh, what was his name Evan and he has his own band in San Jose called Worker Bee, and we heard When You Came Through. And uh, then we heard something uh, from 1991, uh, Disciplina Kishba, which is a famous... Oh, how did you... Hey, Julie. Come on. Welcome. Come uh, over. Famous uh, punk guy. He's had many versions of his band through the years. He even spells it different. And uh, But this is a classic version where he had a couple of Croatian guys with him. And they played uh, Zarje Tozva. Zarje Tozva. Sve. Pete Mazich could help me. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Hala. I know that one, right? Thank you. And then we heard... Uh, something new from Go Team called By Nothing Day and then Material Girl which is a Madonna song but it's done by this band called uh, Screaming Tea Party I think they're from England and then uh, something new from Sigoti uh, their third album Italian band with a piano player from the US named Tom and uh this song was called Cynicism Ain't Self-Defense. Um, Mr. Matt's a writer, and so uh, um, he wrote a piece here uh, that uh, I'd like him to read for us. Thank oh, you. Take it, Matt. <clears throat> this story is based in San Pedro, Heaven and Hell. The color red in me. We need something that will really put the fear in them this time, he said, looking around the table. The fear of God, you mean, Gabriel said, chuckling. He scoffed at the joke, saying nothing but thinking, you are always the bastard, Gabriel. The meeting was already running two hours too long. 
and Gabriel had to go stick another pitchfork into the proceedings. He means that his first attempt and indoctrination was, Rose said, not quite as successful as he planned. He cursed Rose also for her sly rewording, her passive-aggressive subtext, knowing Rose was as big a bastard as Gabriel, who wasn't a bastard down here, he thought, and I the biggest. Not quite as successful, Gabriel said. It was a complete and utter failure, replete in its failing. If fusing your image into the skein of the earth was your goal, that is. All right, quoting me like that was real low, he thought, pulling the word in his mind like taffy or meat, tearing from a bone. He gathered his head in his hands, which wasn't the easiest thing to do, as the fingers had to be placed in just the right spot on both sides of his temples. Okay, I'll write the whole damn thing myself, he, with the ruddy-colored skin, spat, then stormed out. Gabriel rose, and everyone at the meeting table knew how true that parting comment was. Not just that he was going to actually write it, but that each tract that would be sent into the world would be truly damned. Jerry Gavitch drove on Pacific, peeking into Olivia's hair salon. The sign said, closed, Cerrado, queerly upside down. Gavitch would be mildly upset if it was closed. At least then he could put off paying the 11 bucks for the haircut, 10 bucks plus a one for tip. His girlfriend always reminded him that Mondays, or was it Tuesdays, was an off day for salons and barbershops, but Jerry, tired from work, always found himself casing the joint before he'd mentally logged the day of the week. A passing flash of Hispanic child inside told him, no cerrado, pero abierto. Jerry wasn't Olivia's typical customer, honky Croatian, he called himself, but he was a regular, and even if they were cortering pelo solamente para familia y amigas todo el día, he'd still be able to get a haircut. Whenever sitting in the barber chair, he peppered in some Espanol, trying his best three-year high school Spanish on each of the ladies to ease the cultural divide. He took a left on 15th. Making sure to find a spot without a meter, he parked on the sidewalk. A man carrying a heavy load over his shoulder, south of the border style, as Pacific was like little Tijuana, his dad sometimes said, caught his eye as he exited the car. Jerry Gavitch cursed himself for worrying that the transient could somehow attack him or his wallet. With this crucifix of junk on his back, he turned the corner. 14th Street ahead was always worse. June's Bar, its slanted sign protruding over the sidewalk like a skank's leg over a drunk on a bar stool, was a big part of the reason, Jerry thought, and the main reason that the ladies at Olivia's always kept the doors locked, being ultra-picky of who they let in. Jerry snuck under the portico on the corner of 15th. There was a row of blocky columns there, creating a passageway that always made him felt hidden, safe. He passed through alighting on, onto the sunny main street of Pacific, Ramona's bakery and his grandma's old bachelorette pad just across the street. Bypassing Joe's barber shop next door, 
as he always did, $5 more, he made sure not to emasculate himself in its wake. The female-ran Olivia's was his spot. As much as people interchanged haircut places every five or so years, with the occasional wish I hadn't done that trip to Supercuts. Jerry almost cheated once at Soulful Shears, the African-American establishment, which once emitted a cloud of pot smoke so pungent he had to walk a little faster for, for fear of getting a contact high. As he waited outside for one of the ladies to unlock the door and let him in, he spied the usual warning sign of a woman with tin foil sticking out of her teased and basted bangs. This meant waiting time. Grabbing a Hispanic magazine like Business Women in Espanol because he hadn't brought anything to read. The one time he did, he felt strange reading a Hulk comic book with Spanish magazines assaulting him from all sides. As he stepped in, scanning the Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, James Dean pictured parlor, he noticed that the Hispanic boy he'd seen earlier was gone. He sat down in the leather torn couch, watching the foamy inside stare at him from a crack further down. Angled to the right, his leg up in a relaxed, works-over position, Jerry found himself eye-to-eye with a miniature bin of pamphlets. It was one of those bins, he thought, that comes with a kit, which instructs you to fold the bin in stages, origami style, in order to make it stand upright. Embossed in gold on the back of the bin were these words, tracks pamphlets. To this day, Jerry wasn't sure if the title of the bin was written in English or Spanish, Tractos Pamphletas. Other than the basics, the only tricky word he remembered from high school was Montequilla de Cacahuate, peanut butter, a word he paraded out to his Spanish students, who ended up correcting him anyway. One of the pamphlets was titled, The Battle for Your Soul. And Jerry Gavich almost picked this one up because A, it was in English, unlike the other pamphletas, and B, no como el other tractos, it boasted a drawing. A knight's helmet and sword, aventura y fantasy always catching his eye. The one that Jerry Gavich decided to pick up was colored a deep blood red. It said, the color red in me. I infuse red into the very skin of the earth. I make it bleed. Rayad, I called it in Old English. Rathas in German. Rudra in Sanskrit. Before the word, it began in fire. I, the beautiful one, was birthed and bathed in fire. Before his silly naming process, animals and all could commence. For are not a grape fruit and a grape the same thing? Pathetic. Jerry Gavich had to keep reading. Never had he read a proselytizing pamphlet so melodramatic. Seeing once again that there were no other red ones in the bin, he almost thought it was a prank from an overzealous college student or some lampoonery from some other loony. But he kept reading. That was the key, he thought. The little Hispanic boy, ruddy-colored across the street, rubbing his ruddy palms. Jerry Gavich read on. Dark rooms bathed in shadow are pierced only by red light. Red is the longest wavelength seen by your human eye, that you are not sickly pink inside, like that bitter grapefruit. Red streams through every CD you listen to. 
probing your ear like a doctor's dancing red pinpoint LED light. The lady in red is dancing with me. There's nobody here. It's just you and me. Infrared lights will find you, Jerry Gavich. Panic, danger, fear, terror, warning. A lady's red lipstick urging you to yield to temptation. The red light district, the tenderloin, animals and their names. The color is infused within. Red skin, red breast, red knot. They are all there chittering in their caves and hovel holes. Panic, danger, fear, terror, warning. Fire trucks, police lights, red X's next to lines you have to sign in red. Life, death, and dismemberment insurance. Remember, a train reduces you to a red Rorschach blotch. Even if, even as its red phallus speeds away. Stop signs, surface units on your stove. Red is airy everywhere. You can't escape it. Red dwarves dwarf black. In my book, Coca-Cola, hitherto sprinkled with cocaine, always fizzing in a red can. Billion served every day. Look up at the McDonald's tower and be swallowed in red. Gaudy red buildings, gaudy or red mascot. Scientists say it's easier to sell something with red. I whispered this in their ears, that magazines sell better with red schemata. Band aid, the old standby, always alarming injuries. The traumatic cry of the young, father scrambling for the box, mother lost in raw red emergency. I've forged political revolutions in red, and not only with blood and blood, but in ideology. Communism, socialism, the East is red, Mao Zedong said. The red scare in the Cold War, see how the very name of that war is subverted for my ends. I always, always do I deceive with a slight of phrase, for I wage nothing close to a Cold War more often than people have liked to notice, lest we forget. Preachers scream at their congregations to get fired up in red. Most flags are represented in red, and if they're not, I sully them with blood. The majority of car accidents occur with a red car, did you know that? Jerry Gavich, look around, everywhere is red, the car lights in front of you, warning of that one fatal collision, always in front of you and in back, your brake light blinker, red fuzz at the end, edge of your periphery, every day on your commute, on your alarm clock, on endless price scans, beeping and blipping and blinking and winking at you, knowing they can pierce your very soul, Jerry Gavich, I infuse red into the skein of the earth. Next time you drive, next time you step out of your hovel hole, you will be staring down red. Hell on earth. Who do you think termed that phrase? Come on, Jerry Gavich. It's a dime store mystery in a hair salon. Listos, the salon lady said, and Jerry shook his mesmerized eyes. Wondering if he'd really seen his name on that crazy pamphlet, he hopped from his seated position and headed for the barber chair. Barbara's chair, he called it. When he sat down, there was a new picture of the lady's son next to the usual lab of Dr. Frankenstein Tower of Green, God knows what strength of barbicide, and a cross with a trailing rosary. Jerry squeezed his arms to his sides, as he always did, so they wouldn't graze the lady's breasts, as they sometimes did. He only forgot about the pamphlet when she let go of the comb and she had been running the comb she had been running through his scalp, and it thudded against his skull in its, usually wake, in its usual wake-the-fuck-up Jerry Gavage way, reminding him to get his life together 
for haircuts were both me-time moments, per his Franklin Covey time management folder, as well as therapy sessions, 15-minute meditations to prioritize his life, which he deemed well worth the $11. That's a dangling modifier. I'll change that. After his haircut, Jerry Gavich said gracias and paid his $10 and one for tip. He asked in a faltering sentence of Spanish if the front door was still unlocked. See, si, said the Spanish barbarous. Passing the pamphlet, splayed on the leather couch like a pool of blood, Jerry walked through the door and out onto Pacific. Little Tijuana, he said it in his head and cursed himself. Man, we're out of time, so uh, we're going to finish in the next hour. Sounds good. Because we're, we're very good so far. Good, yeah. Red's the color of Rome, too. Really. Senators had red sandals. Mm-hmm. That's why I think why a lot of countries are into red. Cool. <coughs> they all want to be Rome. <laughs> and then, uh, Jap, uh, Julie's here. Baby mm-hmm. is Akachan. And Chan is baby, but oh. Akka is red. For some reason, they call the babies red babies. Huh. I guess because you don't want blue ones. <laughs> it's, it's the end of the first hour, December 11, 2010. Watt from Pedro Show. Hold tight for hour two. Walked over, scared the fuck out of me. Man, she oh, just man. crumbled. December like 11, 2010. Like a it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you guys. Here's the straight ahead, the wipers.
Neil Cassidy. Neil Cassidy. Pedro Show started the second hour off with some live wipers, wipers from Portland in the old days, a song called Straight Ahead. Then we heard uh, a leather issue by, by YGK and Bashabi by Urataichi after that, and finally Neil Cassidy, uh, Neil Cassidy raps. And... Um, yeah, what a great way to segue back into uh, Mr. Matt's story about Pedro, Heaven, and Hell. Cool. The Color Red. <clears throat> the Color Red and Me, Part 2. Jerry's eyes adjusted to the red glare of his alarm clock, the numbers flashing danger. He thought of Franklin, Franklin Covey's time management tenant. Respect your alarm clock and bounded out of bed to respect the tenant's corollary. Never hit snooze. He went through his daily 50-minute ritual of getting up and ready to go. Showering, shaving, making toast, doing 100 sit-ups, writing his girlfriend a cutesy note, and walking out of the door. When he descended upon Pacific, it looked nothing like the sunny thoroughfare it had been yesterday, post-haircut. Mist lingered in the distance, infusing the traffic lights with an eerie aura unlike he'd never seen before. Each red light, stopping him at every block, boded of ill will. The car lights in front of him danced, hypnotizing him, making him worry about some horrible car crash, some impaling disaster. As he crossed Foggy 15th, he found his eyes following the car lights. 
all crimson warning signs in the distance, just as the pamphlet had warned. Down on Pacific, onto the freeway, and during his entire commute, the red lights, red lights impressed on his psyche. Why hadn't he noticed them before? Even the interiors of the cars he saw as he passed were blipping and blinking in red, relaying the same warning messages to the other drivers and passengers. It was truly a sea of red. Hadn't that phrase also been mentioned in the pamphlet? Prices of cheap hotels, where unsavory acts of infidelity would be meted out, were dotted in red. Billboards, or was he imagining this, also screamed in red, just like those scientists had said, using the ruddy color to sell coke, movies, and insurance. Blood money, Jerry thought. Store signs in hot red, urging customers to stream inside and spend it all away. The ringed target sign, almost phosphorescent, made Jerry think he was a man marked for some pitchfork of doom. When Jerry arrived at work, he popped his lunch in the staff lounge, where red notes warned, Don't put empty coffee pots on burner, and There's a camera in here, thief, and Jesus is holding it. The red messages dangled rafter-like from cabinets, or were inscribed in angry red letters on a dry erase board. As it had been outside, so was it in. A world of red pulsing at pick and picking at Jerry Gavitch's brain. He looked at the magazines stacked in the cornucopia-style basket that had been abandoned after the Halloween festivities. Flipping through the rags, a litmus test of red, Jerry found that most of the cover color schemes were based in red, especially the ones with the bikini-clad celebrity, which the staff always turned upside down. Since reading the slim pamphlet, the one he'd wished he'd never read... There was that damn word again. He found himself slipping into ocular paranoia, his eyes only finding that longest red rays of the spectrum. When he clocked in, a red light winked at him from his time clock. Red was present, Jerry thought, during our most transitory moments in life, waking up to our alarms, clocking in, setting the alarm for the morning after. When he walked into his classroom... There was a swatch of red butcher paper on his desk, a far too early preclusion to the winter holidays. When he called to thank Miss Wittermall, he kept looking at the panic button on the phone, a raised red button that could not actually be pushed down or activated, a reminder button. Bizarrely functionless, he had seen the button on numerous phones during his substitute teaching years. It stared at you, making you want to tinker with it, to pry it off. The panic button. November passed and the sea of red seeped deeper into Jerry's retinas, and he wondered if anyone else had read that damn word again. A little track called The Color Red in Me, written, he feared, by the reddest one of all. Nothing was spoken to his girlfriend, but when he turned when she turned to him and asked, How do I how do you like this outfit? before they went out to gorge on beef ribs and the dress was red. He had to turn away, flinching, making sure she didn't catch on. Something had to change, and he thought it might, when the class read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God for Third Period English. Being a teacher's aide, he didn't technically have to look at his teacher's lessons plans, but he had started to do so, planning far in advance, eyes vein red with exhaustion. The excerpt was slated for the first week of December, 
He scanned the text, happily seeing that the red man and his many monikers were not directly mentioned once in the passage. He thought that the teacher, a devout Irish Catholic who never levied his religious ideas on the students, would summon the poem's opposing message and through it kill the memory of the red tract. The teacher always spoke of his grandmother, who had warned her little ones when they were misbehaving that they were stoking the coals with Lucy. She'd wring them by the neck, saying, I love you, Brothen, but you're going to hell. His Irish brogue did some honors with the text, but he eventually diverted to the students in a round of popcorn reading. A Hispanic girl, who always read in a preacher's rhythm, as if Sunday church was still lingering in her ear, and even once accidentally said amen after reading a paragraph of Huck Finn, took the brunt of the heavy text, Damnation does not slumber, the pit is prepared, the fire ready, the furnace hot, ready to receive you, for the flames do now rage and flow. Throughout the sermon, Jerry thought God would take the mantle, and since God was good, he thought he'd be cleansed of the red. Jerry believed this was the moment that everything red and evil would be washed away in one final ablution. But looking around and seeing everyone, adults and teenagers alike, with all their faults, he knew it wasn't the right time. Jerry Gavich needed divine intervention, though he never thought he'd get it during his next haircut. I'm particularly wary of this one, he said, looking around the meeting room at the gathered seraphim. The table, chairs, and horizon were as white as dove's wings. He held up the red pamphlet, and copies of the tract materialized in front of those before him. The seraphim nodded, not needing to move, for each page of the tract was turning for them, blowing like leaves in a breeze. I am surprised you brought the blighted pages here, Seth whispered, as if he didn't want to be heard, but knew he would be. They are evidence, written by the author of all evil, he said, and you know I do not like keeping any of you in the dark. They nodded again. The tracks were changing color from red to bright white. Each of my replacement tracks will be personalized, just as his were. At the touch of each one, the reader's name will appear at the top, as well as at appropriate junctures of the text. He led them in a prayer, blessing the tracks, which were miraculously sent down to their respective bins from hair salons in California to airport lobbies in Fiji. And all the seraphim in the room, Seth and Noah and all, knew that they were indeed blessed, both tracked and angel. It was time for another haircut. Jerry Gavich drove past the upside-down closed Serato sign in front of Olivia's hair salon, knowing better this time. As the barbarous unlocked the door, he saw the same lady with the tin foil in her hair, and he knew he would have to wait again, would have to face those inevitable bins. He sat down and tried to relax the same bin of pamphlets, tracts, or was it tractos pamphletas, peeking at him in his periphery like he knew they'd be. Jerry leafed through them, seeing no red pamphlets in sight, and only the usual array of fluorescent ones. He knew all the tracks, just like all those Jack Chick publications he picked up off the dirty ground over the years would be immersed in some form of fear-mongering. And they were, with titles like How to Get Out of Prison, 
and one similar to the helmet and sword tract he'd seen before, the war for your life. He bypassed all these, finding one of such pure white that it reminded him of the upgraded Mando comic book paper of the late 80s. When he grabbed it, his name, Jerry Gavich, was written at the top. Or had it just appeared? It took the form of a greeting, like the business letters he'd passed out in English class, as there, as there was no title to this tract. There was also no identifying information on the back or anywhere on the tract. Jerry turned the white pamphlet open slowly as if it was a birthday card. You should have seen the signs far earlier, Jerry Gavich. The color red in me is simply bad grammar. It's the color red in I. Pathetic. Never listen to that other guy. He only emulates the color red as it is the color of the only thing which he cannot possess, a heart. You might not know this, but he tried to steal Adam's rib just as I was removing it, trying to get at what was inside. I understand you're a fan of ribs, Jerry Gavich. There's a good spot in L.A. on Vermont owned by a guy from Mississippi. Gave him cancer, but he still keeps on ticking. There's an old joke. A guy is eating at God's rib shack, and someone comes up to him and very pointedly asks, What do you think of the ribs? The guy smiles, and with a rib stuck in his craw, he says, You don't even know. (laughs) Then the other guy, who, wearing a dirty apron that the rib gorger hadn't noticed, and who happens to be wearing a God name, name tag, replies, Of course I do. I made them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Wow. Making me hungry for ribs. <laughs> There's a Mormon version on their churches called Moroni. Well, the one, well, the one I went for is that he's on Satan's team in this one. I don't know the background, but. Yeah, maybe he sold nice. out, I don't know. Well, maybe you see, I have this theory that Satan isn't all that bad. He's just doing God's dirty work. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to do it. He just has, you know, it's his job. You know, kind of like Maya in, in, in the Vedic scriptures. Maya, her job is to keep us, keep the veil over us, to keep us away from God, to keep us blinded by the material world. Mm-hmm. That as long as, if we can get past Maya, we would know God. Mm-hmm. But my and my hates doing that to us. But she. She has to do it. Mm-hmm. I think in Job, the, his name is means accuser. Gabriel. Hmm. Well, then you think Satan. The, what's oh. the guy who betrayed? Um, Gabriel's Jesus? one of the angels. Judas. Judas. Well, I guess it, Satan was one of the of angels too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the book of Judas. Judas actually was Jesus's like most devoted. Um, Apostle, he he didn't want to do it, but Jesus told him he had to do it, and he reluctantly did it. But you know, he had to go down as the guy that betrayed him when really he was the one who loved him more than anyone, because he's the only one who would have gone through with it, because everyone else would have chickened out. Okay. Am I crazy? No, no, it's all interesting. That's in the. Have you heard <coughs> of the Book of Judas? I know about it, and this is some of those gospels that weren't allowed in or something. Mm. Yeah. Mary had one. I think there's one of Thomas. And yeah, certain books weren't let in. The, the, the big uh, committee meeting. Scissor. Scissor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Brother Matt, it's time now for you to uh, whoop up your uh, spin cycle for us. Cool. Let's see what we can come up with. For so many more
Bring that next level shit. Oh, yo, for real, that's what I'm talking about. Check it out. Oh, don't be a sidekick. Open your mouth quick as a vibe kicks. Move the fuck out, skin. This vibe's rope. Just like yo, 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 yo. Check out this hot flow. I go ball the name of N R N J to the motherfucker A. Straining your brain like TV static. Check out the funky 3D graphics. Into my digital zone. This out of sight of foam on the microphone. I'm scoping, third eye strobing, mind open, sweat streaming, flesh gleaming, best feeling, high energy speaking, deep meanings, freak when I say things, like this chick in a G-string, can I touch you friend?
open up your legs, your vagina sewn up and all the threat. Mars a blonde bra massage your head. Your mana's thrashing, vagina gushing, another chicken the corner taking a burst. The whole bob's totally kinky, look around. The new room is fancy, remove your fur coat, remove your panties. I'm rock for the soup and a black face moss. I ejaculate in a champagne glass. Your precious flash is so mysterious. Pierce your nipples with two long needles like a crucifix. Take it to another level while I get my fit on. The bob's mental, transcendental. Well, someone else now still rocking a mask, but I'm taking off my suit. You're rocking a mask too, shaking your nose, boobs. I tell you what, lock you, you feel my feel. We start thanks kissing with flipping long tongues. We're somewhere else now, you dress conservative. Transform into a big black heart. Feel the realness, my dick's lank hard. You can't believe it, I dig in your palm as big as your arm. We're somewhere else now, a hospital. All gathered for the operation. Lot of guys chilling behind you. Blossom the boss, so rock in the mask. Penises out, drop your panties for the surgeon. It's not a problem, look in the mirror. You can see your suit, you got two nostrils and a penis too. Look in the mirror, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, you can see it's you. Look in the mirror, you can see it's you. You got two nostrils and a penis too. Look in the mirror, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, you can see it's you. Look in the mirror, you can see it's you. You got two nostrils and a penis too. Surgeon says, can you see this? A beautiful woman with a brand new penis. You clap the surgeon, flip him right round, bend him over. Lift his white gown, crack the surgeon. Smoky butt cheeks, rape the surgeon. Break the surgeon, absorb your penis into your tummy. You're the woman again, complete with the vagina. I'm flipping my off, uh, tripping your mind out. Flipping and flipping your flip, flipping inside out. Are you the teacher? You the guard? The real you won't see, you denied. You got crazy steps to feel all thawed up. Kneeling on the pavement, you can't say shit. Your mouth's gagged, you're surrounded by a thousand guys. Totally under your spell, they're all totally scared of the power you hold. You can change the rules of the game. And devour the souls off. Now's the time, girl. Step back into the outside world, the world of others. It's time to go back. The door's stuck shut, but the walls are beginning to crack. Uh, now the walls are bleeding. Your souls are seeping. Soaking wet with no regret. Feel your body sweat, blood peel off your old skin. Time to get love. Feelings have. 
Upon the demon that you're stuck with us right now. I see clearer than most. I sit here contending with this cheese on toast. I feel the pain of a third world famine. Said we, we count them blessings and keep jamming. To drip, scumbag, comedy, Gurfie's worth was nil until he gained the skill of tongues from 15 years young. Straight to my great back self, I stay top shelf material. Progressing in the flesh, esoteric folks, most frightening. Dumpy took a hold of my hand while I was writing. They got me tinged up and they got me and I summon up the power of banana clan. Witness the witness of fitness, of the telepath, oh one quest. Witness the witness of fitness, of the telepath, oh one quest. Witness the fitness, of the telepath, one hope, one quest. Witness the fitness, of the telepath, one hope, one quest. King of the sound, uh-huh. bust a bust back and just put a lock on the town. Uh-huh. None of my bitches be coming from miles around. See, they be coming because they know how to gog it. Turn it up, you know who holding the throne, so give me this crown. <laughs> niggas saluting and trying to give me a pound. Come on. I don't really fuck with you niggas, you niggas just clowns. <laughs> Making the bitches trip and throw the shit on the ground. Low bust. Now that's the way that it goes. Uh-huh. When we up in the spot, the shit be flooded with holes. See, when you make it hot, the chicks will come out their clothes. That's when they get it. <laughs> Mommy, you already know I'm Turn it up, shorty while I'm in shorty open, she beasting it out. Drinking 
So much. My pleasure. And what was it? What are you doing? That all about? Well, it kind of was in like a, a kind of funky hip hop type of nasty thing to start with, and then I yeah. don't know quite where it went, but it was all fun and good. That we were just, <laughs> just one thing good. led to another, and uh, it was all righteous. Right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice ride, even for my <laughs> crippled up body. <laughs> I had uh, you. You took me on the ride via the mind. Cool. Had you dancing up there, <laughs> prancing, <laughs> flitting about. <laughs> it's the end of the second hour, December 11, 2010. Watt from Pedro show. Hold tight for hour three. December 11, 2010. It's the Watt from Pedro show, third hour.
sure you'd friggin' pass it. A lot from Bedro Show. Talking about what we don't know and don't know. <laughs> With that burden. <laughs> Uh, start off the third hour with um, uh, five pointers from, uh, how do you pronounce this, F-F-A-T-S-O. Fatso? Yeah, that's a real yeah. quick. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fool Minds by, how do you pronounce this, G-B-U-R. Goober. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Goober. Well, there's no you there, though. Maybe the G yeah, is silent. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe it's Kaburr. Stumpers. And then Drive Me to Paranoia by Stefano Ferian. And finally, Snow by The Hysterical Injury. Speaking of injuries, <laughs> Coco almost had one because of overdose on niacin and <laughs> passing out, right? I OD'd on it, yeah. <laughs> One pill. 500 milligrams. Yeah. yeah everyone's reaction. different. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah. Dangers and over-the-counter <laughs> poisons. It brought me to the ER. <laughs> so be careful with that stuff. I had to expose my breast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'd be passed out. <laughs> and exposed for you. No, it wasn't red anymore by the time. <laughs> no, I, I look, I did the same thing when I was... More young, I uh, heard about niacin getting your blood going through you, so I took some, and my body, I turned bright red, and I started itching and burning up, and it was like, wow, mm-hmm. big head rushes. I didn't pass out, but <clears throat> the next time I used it, it was much smaller dose, yeah. you know, and um, actually, one time, uh, here's a niacin story, Uh-oh. it was Coachella, <laughs> When this April comes, it'll be eight years. And uh, it was the first Stooges gig, and I got sick. I was on tour with my second man, and on the flight from Memphis, I got sick. I didn't tell them guys, because I didn't want them to know or worry for me. But, man, I was in some big-ass shakes were coming. A fever was on me, and then the shakes started coming, and we're going to go on soon. And Flea says, you know, when we get sick, there's, you know, Coachella, so there's a lot of bands. And in fact, uh, him and uh, Ian McKay was like putting a blanket around me, trying to warm me up. And then he goes, wait a minute, you know what? We get all sick, uh, our nurse puts a niacin in us. So this big shot of niacin, it took like 10 minutes to get in me. And they put me in a golf cart. It was the right time to go on and put me up that stage. And, you know, I did the gig and then 35 more with Pete and Jer. I met them in Chapel Hill. Did you keep taking the niacin? No, it was just for that gig. Uh, it was like a, it wasn't a pill, it was a shot, you know. Oh, shit. Uh, big class. I remember uh, at the dairy, they used to use these on the cows, you know, these big motherfuckers. Did they put it in your butt? No, it was in my arm. Oh. But real slow, she had to push it in real slow. And uh, it, it revitalized me, and I, the shake stopped, you know. And uh, I told him after the gig. <laughs> I wore a Dave Alexander shirt. Somebody gave me. Oh, Scotty Sign gave it to me. I practiced with them on the 6th and 7th of January. 
Yeah. We haven't played since September 10. So it'll be interesting. <clears throat> On the 8th, I play with this guy named Jandick. God, I'm going to uh, bring Jandick for next week's show. I know I've played it on this show before. He's an interesting man out of Texas. Or maybe he's not a man. Maybe he's a whole organization or something. But maybe 60 albums. Okay, Jandick rhymes with Jack Chick. Mm-hmm. Cor- Corwood Industries or something is the name of the company. And uh, anyway, he started playing live a couple of years ago and his first Southern California gigs coming to UC Irvine. And uh, the promoter asked for me. He said, I want the, the, the or they, whoever, the Jan Dick entity, uh, said to them, we need a drummer and a bass player. And so I, I got the call. Now, the only practice is a couple hours before the gig. And they haven't sent me any songs. So I, I don't know what it's going to be like so much. His music is very trippy. And uh, <coughs> very personal, very sensitive, very trippy. So the East Irvine? Yeah, the Crystal Auditorium, Crystal uh-huh. Cove Auditorium, I think it's called. Who's the drummer? Uh, he's got initials. He plays in a band called Health. Oh, he's really good. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Yeah. So uh, that'll be my first time playing. I think I played a gig with them with Dose hmm. I can't remember <laughs> I think so they gave me a cassette name, but I've seen huh? them play I, I've seen them play and he's an amazing drummer yeah I, uh, I, they had synthesizers or something they had a bunch of uh, sound I remember yeah that's really maybe they're downtown maybe I played with them at the smell yeah I think yeah I think you have yeah. so um that's coming up for me. And then this big day out, it'll be my third one. First one was with Porno for Pyros in 96. So uh, I look forward to that. And the U.S. tour also. All the gigs. I'm, um, like I said, going to finish this album. All, all it has to do is really be mixed some spiel it's about autumn and then Thursday I mastered two albums the one with the two Italian guys I made last year Sonio Damarinaio and the fourth dose album so soon a whole bunch of Watt stuff will be coming out as works and not just gigs and now last time you guys well, you weren't here, Matt, but the other three were, and they was telling me and Brother Matt about their band. So what <laughs> progress has you made with the band? Oh, we have a new name now. <laughs> we're not Dark Sunshine anymore. Yeah. We are Dark Sunshine Twins, with a Z. <laughs> Dark Sunshine Twins. Yeah, no, but we've been really playing a lot and uh, jamming, and it's been really fun, and I'm really impressed by well, have our you progress so far. Because if no, you record, you haven't. can play you on the lot from Pedro show. <laughs> I know, we're going to. Yeah. But we're getting ready. Are you going to record first or play a gig first? Record first. Then gig. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to have our stuff down, you know. What's the hardest part about starting a band? 
What's the hardest part? Just, I think between us is finding, making sure that each one of us has found our voice and is confident and then getting the timing down. We have the voice. It's there. That's the hardest part of being a writer, mm -hmm. is the voice. Because you're distilling yourself through everything you've read, you know? You don't want to be heard. a copy of somebody else's yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. You know why these Harry Potter, the next, these copycats don't sell? is because no one wants a second-rate Harry Potter. No one wants a second-rate Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman, you know? No, I, no, I know Alan Moore because I have the Watchmen, all ten of those. Yeah. But is, is Harry Potter original? Yeah. You know, yeah. we played with the, I was telling you in Japan, Caramelos, right? And the drummer, he's, his name was John, he's from Texas, and he told me he was in a band called Harry and the Potters. And yeah, they did great. gigs, and these people from, that are fans of these books came to the gigs dressed, yes. you know, <laughs> witches' hats and shit. What a trippy little scene. <laughs> Harry and the Potters. <laughs> and uh, he was getting, well, actually, the bass player told us, you know, so, because he was all embarrassed by it. So, I, my sister reads them. She's a teacher, and she says they're good books. For sure. They are? Yeah, I yeah. haven't read them yet. But they're in the original. Yeah, um, she definitely has this old sense of English. Um, her favorite book is I Capture the Castle, J.K. Rowling's, and it's very proper English. J.K. Rowling's. This, yeah, she's the writer of the Potter books. You know, and it's very she stop it? proper English. My students gave me a rumor that they might have some more Harry Potter stories in the future, yeah. but, you know, this is hearsay, internet hearsay stuff, you know. Right. But they're saying, like, well, how can... How can you go with another... Voldemort was so badass. How can you do that again? How can you make something good? What's it's like Voldemort? trying to beat the main villain in the oh, Potter oh. book. And it's like, how can you beat Darth Vader? How can you... I mean, I know you can make a complex story in that universe, but my students were saying, how do you top something like that? And the pressure on her, would just the writer would be immense. You know? Oh, like... Um Joyce with the Ulysses, or Einstein with his unified theory. Yeah, when you try to top yourself, but you know maybe that's part of life. You 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 just try stuff that's impossible. Like you were saying, be satisfied, or when she, when somebody was saying that yeah. God gives you what's enough. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. I guess they tied a yeah. Uh, God gives you, you know, God or the being. Gives you no more than you can handle. Overreaching. That's why Hercules, I think, is in Dante's hell. Because mm -hmm. he tried to get past Gibraltar. And I mean, like... <laughs> she tried to know too much. You know, and they smuggled copies of Joy James Joyce's Ulysses into America. You know, it made it. They had to because you it know? was... Uh, it was up for the... No, it was illegal. It was considered yeah. obscene. And then it got up Which gave it enough, a lot of attention <laughs> when it was finally made legal. Well, the, the funny thing about Harry Potter, the last book, one of the mothers says, bitch, to yeah. this evil, and that's this is kids' books. And it just jumps off the page because this is a kids' book, you know? 
So in this, the, the movie, it'll be interesting. Watch out for that, uh, listeners. Bitch! <laughs> Remember, uh, I haven't read him. <laughs> what's it called? Catching a Ride? There's all that cussing. Yeah. And then he gets Hold all it. pissed off at the end because they write fuck on the school walls yeah. and he's all pissed off and here he's been cussing the whole book. <laughs> Holden. <laughs> Holden Caulfield. Yeah, my uh, ma said that was a huge book for their day. Pretty I kind of like classic. it. I was in Tokyo talking with Jim O'Rourke about it. Man, did he hate it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Then uh, he got to saying, well, maybe I don't hate the book, I hate the culture that grew up around it. Call them bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like it. Yeah, I think it. he's uh, writing from the insane asylum. JD? No, Holden. Or Holden after? Mr. Holden. I think JD, he was a very private guy. He wouldn't even yeah. let satire be made of that book. He'd sue everyone. Wouldn't let a movie version be made. Milan Kundera had this thing about a book could not be a movie. You read him a check writer? Yeah, I mean, I'm clear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. Unbearable yeah. being, right? Yeah. That one? They made a movie out of that. Yeah. But when I read Immortality, he said, well, this one should have been the movie. That was the wrong one. Mm. Somebody just gave me a new book. The Encounter or something. It's, it's, a, it's a series of essays. His last one, To the Curtain, was essays on the novel. What the novel should be. Especially... <laughs> via Central Europe, where he's from. Interesting guy. I guess Sean Cole, one of his favorite short stories is one of Salinger's. It's the one on the beach. I'm sh- there's only nine of them, so it just look, look, the banana fish one, yeah, and he just, like, that's my favorite short story. Have you ever seen that movie, The Swimmer? Where the guy goes from pool to pool? It's a John Cheever short story. And that's Eric from Wash's favorite short story. Do you have a favorite short story, guys? Like one that. Oh, Hop Frog from Poe. From Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. Hop Frog? Is, you don't know Hop Frog? What's the style? Is it funny? Is it. The, uh, yeah, it's kind of intense. Still horror, though? There's a jester named Hop Frog for this, uh, I don't know royal guy, you know, and there's a little ballerina he likes that's abused by them. The, him and the, the boss and his buddies get their jollies, they're debauched and shit. So. Mm-hmm. Hop Frog, we're bored, you know, what can you do for us to get us off, you know? And he, I got that trick, you know. Put on these, like, uh, suits, you know, all with this feathers and tar and stuff, and I'll hang you by your ankles at the chandelier thing and of the party, you know trip everyone out and so when they do this he lights them all on fire and he grabs a ballerina and runs away <laughs> yeah not the happy <laughs> kind of happy a little bit but his stuff they would call it immoral I guess. or like the when he the walled up guy remember he gets he walls him up Oh, the Cask of Amontillado, yeah. Mm. Big high school story. But he gets away with it. Yeah, he gets away with it. You know, it's, yeah, it's Mardi Gras, and he ever, you know, he's just taking Give me advantage. a sign, he, and he gives him the Masonic sign, and yeah. you know. 
Yeah, lottery too. That's a trippy high school one. They, they, uh, Shirley Jackson. They saw the lottery, and then they end up getting all uh, yeah. stoning them. I think. Or yeah, yeah. It was she got the black mark. Yeah, yeah, she wants to win, and but I heard the story how she yeah. came up with that. Yeah, uh, she was in lot uh, in the supermarket, and it seemed no matter what line, the long or the short one, she was going to be the last one through the checkout. Because mm-hmm. you get it, you know, if it's your number, your number. Yeah, that's what she said. What about you, Talia and Coco? Favorite short stories? Anything jumping? <clears throat> I'm not much of a short story reader. I, mm-hmm. I, I read a book. I gotta give a shout out to Alan Moore's God. It's like Alan Moore has this God that he looks up to, and it's a big head of Paris Hilton with a bunch of other shit at the bottom. <laughs> Good. Uh, I like Borges as a short story writer. His stuff is pretty great. I think some collections like Bukowski's "Most Beautiful Woman in the World." There's a pretty Tales cool of Ordinary Madness yeah, yeah. is real yeah, popular. The, those, Women, those two are great. That'll hit you over the head yeah. with those ones. Yeah, I think anyone can really connect with those. You know. Yeah, cool collection. Yeah. Hi. Let's play some music. <laughs>
Expressing all the feeling that I have Because I lie the way you are You made me feel this world is not that bad But telling me that you need me Expressing all the feeling that I have Because I lie the way you are You made me feel this world is not that bad But telling me that you need me
Mark from Pedro Show. Uh, last musics for this edition. Uh, you just heard something from uh, a new band, Jack Brewer, Sacred Trust singer, is, and, and he's playing guitar. Cool. They're called yeah. the Extras, and the song is called Together Again. And then before that, we heard Cats Scratching at the Door by Buddy, Girl, and Mechanic. And before that was Smelters to Hell by Echo Face. And then ahead of that was Expression by Acufuncture. No, Acufuncture. Sorry. Big difference. And then ahead of that was Summer It's Gone by Pahakita. And we started off with uh, Scratch Out My Heart by Ye Luddites. You wanted that word. You know about the Luddites. Ray Bradbury. Luddites actually, they wanted to uh, keep the job, so the machines were coming and going to replace. So the idea was to wreck the machines. And Holland wasn't the only place with wooden shoes. They also had them in France. And uh, in France they're called... Sabats, sabatos, in Espanol, right? So sabat, uh, you throw the sabats in the machine. Uh, this is where we get the word sabotage. Mm. I thought you didn't want to learn. I thought God gave you everything you needed. <laughs> get out of the brain box. You can put more in the brain box. You probably have to yank something out, though, to get that. It's probably zero-sum game. One would think not, but... Uh, unfortunately, maybe. So sad. So that's where we get our sabotage word, huh? Um, Brother Matt, you got some weeks off from teaching. Yeah, one more and week to work, plan? three weeks off. Um, I think I'm just going to be chilling here on the island, pretty much. My imitation island, Isle of Pedro. Your imitation island? Yeah. Are you going to make one trip to the Elks Lodge? Uh, yeah, I may get up that far. Yeah, get that side of town. I was close to where you lived. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Get the Irish coffee. They put that cream de menthe on top and make it look like a little shamrock. I'm not going to go there, but look this up online, people. But cream de menthe is very popular in literature, I guess, in five or six major works. But check it online. So is drinking, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes straight out the eight bottle. (laughs) Night train. Night train. Interesting cat. In fact, it's funny you brought that up because I just got a new, there's a new Coltrane book. It's 848 pages, four and a half pounds. It's a good, you know, he's born in 26. And uh, it's like a day by day thing. It was 40 years, he lived 40 years. And yeah, quite a piece, it's coming in the mail. I also got a book with it, Coltrane on Coltrane, a lot of his interviews, which I've read anyway, but to have one book. That'll be neat. And Lewis Porter's part of that big one, and he has an interesting book. He uh, references some guy who went and uh, 
transposed all the solos. <laughs> that would be a task. <laughs> a lot of notes in John Coltrane's solo. And, um, interesting guy. Do you remember the band One I Open What? Huh? Do you remember the band One I Open? Kind of angular band? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I took a jazz class with the bass player of One I Open. And uh, we went to go, we had to go see a show for our class, and we went down to the old strand there and saw Chick Corea. And all the, the Richie Poos were talking over the music. And it just ruined everything, and we were so pissed. <laughs> we had to come back and write a paper on this, you know? People yammering. Yeah, just talking over you know, it, you know? The Jeff Tord, the audiences are so respectful. Yeah. And my opera gets really little, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, you could talk over that shit easy, and that, you know? And I was thinking maybe England's going to be like this because it's maybe a little more like the U.S. Mm. And they were really good. They were really respectful. There's parts where we get so small. And dose we have it. People can talk over it, man, and and half. It's a little frustrating. Yeah. Well, two of our friends have mentioned (laughs) the the L.A. crowd thing this week. One guy saw John Spencer at um, Troubadour, and John Spencer was working for it, sweating it out. And after an hour, he just said, fuck it. And I'm cutting the set short. You know, I mean, I don't know what he said, but, you know, he was working, pumping for it, and then the crowd was just yammering, you know? And then, you know, Wilco played some show in L.A. and same thing, you know? And so it's funny how two Theirs of our are the same thing. Their gigs are long. I went and saw them. house <laughs> plays in them. They're a couple of hours at least. <laughs> But they quit too? Wilco stopped? No, no, no. That just our friend mentioned that it took away from the show. The people talking yeah. and phoning. I, and I have done shit where I got all drunk and started talking loud. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's happened. <laughs> you know. Not all the time, but I remember it happened. Me and Raymond going to, I think it was a. Uh, the resident people were putting on some play about Bible stories. And I was... Baracho. Dilparai. Whereas I... lot of noisy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <was> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, uh The other listeners, the other gig-goers, I guess uh, respect to the artist. It is a test, man. You have to try and keep hold of the piece while you're trying to be all little and people are... I remember I was playing in this town in western Nebraska called uh, uh, Carney, And then uh, there was some little song and I could hear the foosball. <laughs> Guys were like drowning us out. You know this when you twirl the, the flappers, handles? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't nice forget them. <laughs> no, I didn't forget that. I was laughing. I was laughing. You know, maybe you shouldn't be playing that little. You know, bl- bludgeoning people, but I'm into blasting too, though. 
I play with Stooges. In fact, I play pretty loud a lot of times. But with this piece, I had to get little at in some points. And I was very, uh, yeah, grateful. The England audience, I mean, this, like I said, was in a big tent, you know, big room with these weird machines, you know, set up for like little kids and stuff, families, and they turn it into a gig thing and a lot of distractions, but people were, you know, I, got, I, I was very grateful to, to them for that. And so let's see what happens when I come bring it around to you. <laughs> It's hard to get too high and mighty on people, you know. Mm-hmm. Tell them to be still or something, but... Yeah. Well, the thing about the jazz community, it's understood. Mm. If you go to a jazz show, that is the show. Mm. You know, Maybe Chakri is a little more fusion. <laughs> <laughs> but the Strand, you know, these people... I mean, I'm from Palos Verdes, but I they saw, just didn't get it. You know, I saw Bootsy play there. <laughs> I saw... They had some rock shows too. I saw Leslie West there. The the Strand. Yeah, you're talking about where the yeah. curve is on yeah, PCH. Yeah. My brother's favorite show ever was Nick Lowe's solo there. Mm. And he saw Chris Isaac before he got big there, real small and intimate. And pl- we saw the Plim Souls there. An old friend of mine saw um, Bow Wow Wow there. Yeah, Doctor John, Albert yeah. King. Nice. Yeah. Zappin' Roger. <laughs> no, I saw them actually down at the Chop House, or what was it called before? The uh, La Conga. Yeah, La Conga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, Zap totally played. I was so happy to see <laughs> Okay. <laughs> anyway, look, people get out of the gigs what they get out. You know, it's <laughs> trippy. It takes gig goers and takes gig performers. Yeah. Interesting relationship. I want to thank everybody for coming aboard. Daya, Julie, Coco, Matt. <laughs> Matt, thank you for reading thank you. your story. Brother Matt, thank for your essential aid in Tibetan as always. Pleasure. Uh, next week we'll do another one. Cool. Close to birthday time. Mm, happy birthday. And, uh, Vacation time. In the uh, December 11th, 2010, Watt from Pedro show. Oh, yeah, I'm pedaling my bike. If anyone's worried, cool. <laughs> many months without but I'm back mm-hmm. and maybe kayak one day <laughs> he's that gets better uh, yeah what from Pedro show December 11 2010 keep your powder dry yeah.